You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The film we are here to discuss is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which came out in 1987 and was directed by John Hughes. Two happy clams just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, and the Marconi family. Paramount Pictures presents... Wilma! Steve Martin. You ever been to Hawaii? Yeah. You see Don Ho while you were there? See the second show, that's the best one. Is that right? Yeah. John Candy. Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. In a new film by John Hughes. Planes, trains, and automobiles. See that Bears game last week? Yeah, hello game, hello game. It stars Steve Martin, John Candy, and Layla Robbins. The genre would be travel comedy. Could this be the best Thanksgiving movie ever? Well, it doesn't really have much in the way of direct competition. Home for the Holidays is pretty funny. Tower Heist is sort of underrated. The Ice Storm is good, but somewhat chilly. And none of them are as consistently as funny and heartfelt as this crazy road movie featuring Martin as Neil and Candy as Dell, two very different strangers trying to get back to Chicago for Thanksgiving. Of course, utilizing all the titular planes, trains, and automobiles to get there. Both stars genuinely shine in roles which definitely play to their gifts for physical comedy, funny banter, and of course, absurd reactions. They also have great chemistry, which combines for so many memorable highlights. Those aren't pillows. Watching Martin's Neil maneuver his way out of a motel shower to find the one small hand towel that Candy's Dell left for him. Dell's novel sales pitch of shower curtain rings to various strangers at a bus station. How do you do, ma'am? My name is Dell Griffith. I'm with the American Light and Fixture Company, Jewelry Division, and I've got the deal of a lifetime for you. Do you have a minute? This is your Diane Sawyer autographed earring. You ever watch 60 Minutes? Thanks. This is Czechoslovakian ivory. That's, that's $5. Great. This is your Walter Cronkite moon ring. Thank you. They are filled with helium, so they're very light. Thank you. This is an autographed Daryl Strawberry earring. All right. These are very special earrings, by the way. These were originally handcrafted for the Grand Wizard of China. You're going the wrong way. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way! Oh, he's drunk! How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you, thanks a lot. Neil trying to kickstart a bus sing-along with the one Sinatra song that nobody under the age of 30 had ever heard of, even back in 87. Both of the reactions to Dylan Baker's unique neck-cock greeting after he pulls up as the mysterious Owen, who's giving them a ride in his pickup truck to the train station in Kansas. Get your lazy behind out here and put that trunk up in the back. 
Oh, no, no, the word we've got it. It's very heavy. She don't mind. She's short and skinny, but she's strong. Her first baby come out sideways. She didn't scream or nothing. Isn't that something? You're a real trooper. And the absurdly loud mechanical sounds we hear from the passenger seat of the rental car as we watch each of them make adjustments. Please stop doing that with the seat. Why don't you start screwing around with these damn things? You can never get comfortable with it. Quit screwing around with it. I gotta get comfortable. And there's one more we'll get to later. Almost every joke lands. Most of the pathos we see from these two guys is earned. And the locations are varied enough to make us believe that they are dealing with this Herculean task of traversing about 700 miles from Wichita to Chicago. It's really just a 10 to 11 hour drive, but no matter. The theme of the movie is quite simple and straightforward. Everybody needs somebody at the most important times in their lives, whether it be romantic, family, or just a bud. It's kind of like Swingers that way, and I would also encourage you to check out my review of Swingers. You're nobody till somebody loves you. And now comes a spoiler warning. Spoiler alert, the ending of a 34-year-old movie is about to be discussed. And then there is that gut punch ending. While it generally gets the desired emotional effect from me, and I do like how writer-director John Hughes subtly hints at it throughout the film, even after having now seen it a dozen times, I still find the actual final few minutes of this film to just be awkwardly staged. The way everything is shot and presented to us during those last few minutes just feels off. Layla Robbins is lovely as Susan, who's Neil's wife who's been waiting at home for him with their family. But here's the thing. She has hardly been in the movie up until this point, and I'm still at a loss as to why I should care about the emotions on her face as to oppose to either of our two leads during what is obviously a very stirring moment. During the film's closing, the camera just seems to focus so much on her at the expense of both Martin and Candy. It's just a weird choice. That said, does that make it a bad ending? Well, I'm still moved by that freeze frame of Candy's Dell smiling as the credits roll. But overall, it just doesn't land as well as it should, as far as I'm concerned. And that brings me to the categories. And for the first category, I'm going to mix things up just a little bit. This is the best and worst needle drop. This is the best and worst song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because whether it's bad or good, music is essential to film. So for one thing, Going back to that ending, the choice of needle drop used during this ending, it's a rare musical misstep from John Hughes, who has pretty much made a name for himself, who had made a name for himself, always choosing the exact right music to close out his movies. It's hard to believe that this is the same guy who picked Simple Minds to end Breakfast Club, Yellow to close out Ferris Bueller, or even the Thompson Twins to sell that silly ending to 16 Candles. For this heartfelt ending, he chooses a ghastly cover version by some 80s band named Blue Room, I couldn't find anything about them, of the hit song Every Time You Go Away, which is a very touching song which was done much more effectively in its 1980 original version by Daryl Hall, and even better as a smash hit single in 1985 by Paul Young. 
This version, unfortunately, just sounds very clunky and almost sounds like a Muzak version of the previous two. It's just a distractingly bad choice, which remains one of the worst needle drops that I can recall. Now that said, the rest of the soundtrack is pretty top-notch, and that's always been the case with John Hughes movies. It includes a bouncy synth score from 80s music comedy specialist Ira Newborn. And Newborn also produced my favorite track, my favorite needle drop, called I Can Do Anything, which is, let's just say that this was a thing that was pretty popular in the second half of the 80s, and Newborn was on the forefront of it as he did something similar for the movie version of Dragnet, which also came out earlier in 87. Now, I think I'm in the extreme minority of actually enjoying these, even back then, but there was a relatively short trend of dance pop or hip-hop songs performed specifically for a movie soundtrack featuring sound bites from the movie as the main hook, usually from the stars of the movie. In this case, Newborn was apparently the producer behind this mystery band at the time called ETA, which apparently included John Hughes himself. At least that's what I read. Now, you got me as I just couldn't find out much about them. But regardless, they provide us with this track of fast-paced dance pop interspersed with dialogue from both stars, but mainly Steve Martin's Neil ranting, and also some record scratching thrown in for good measure. I know it's cheesy. It ain't easy being cheesy. It's cheesy, but it's fun. And we hear it kick in at the perfect moment as we find Martin's Neil dropped off in a remote parking lot to pick up his rental car, which isn't there. And having been left behind, he just loses it. And then we watch him traverse the nearby highway overpass where he's splashed with mud from passing cars. And then finally, we see him walking angrily across the airport runway to get back to the rental car agency all while this music is playing. Now, maybe you just had to be there watching this for the first time in a theater in 1987, but I just find it to be a pitch-perfect video sequence of a man pushed to the edge by the horrors of holiday travel. And it directly leads into our trailer moment. The trailer moment is the senior moment that best describes this movie. Now, back to Neil at that airport rental agency. Well, we see him walk inside without shoes, covered with mud, his tie draped across his face, and needless to say, he's angry. So who should he encounter at the rental desk but a very bouncy rental car agent played by Edie McClurg, laughing and smiling at him as he walks up to the counter. And what follows? Well, let's just say that this sequence single-handedly earned this film an R rating as we hear Martin's Neil drop 17, count them, 17 F-bombs in less than 40 seconds. It's just glorious. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? 
you can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Honestly, Steve Martin and John Candy have the only meaty roles in this thing. Everyone else is pretty much just a bit player and almost always makes the most of their scenes, so nobody is truly wasted. And that brings me to the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, I'm tempted to choose comedy writer, producer, director, extraordinaire John Hughes, and I was quite the fan of much of his 1980s output. But to me, this just isn't Hughes at his best, as I have always found him more suited writing for teenage characters than full-on adults in movies like The Breakfast Club. And as lights out as Steve Martin is with several of the film's funniest moments, it's actually the late, great John Candy who truly provides this film's heart with a surprisingly subtle portrait of a lonely widower now living an aimless life who keeps getting in his own way. His Del Griffith is just such an endearing character. And Candy brings genuine pathos to this performance at several select moments, though never hitting you over the head with it. This especially comes through in an early scene when we have just watched Martin's Neil just launch into him with a tirade which starts out comic and just becomes increasingly mean-spirited. The camera just closes in on Candy's face as this tirade winds down. He looks hurt but defiant, and his response is just, it's just emotional. Candy gives a genuinely impressive performance, and he is your MVP. You want to hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. And now here's a shout out to the AJ Chat podcast. She discusses TV, movies, interviews, pop culture, and other entertainment topics. And as it turns out, AJ Chat has an interview coming up with Chris Candy. And he talks about planes, trains, and automobiles. So head on over to the AJ Chat podcast to check it out. My rating for planes, trains, and automobiles would be four stars out of five. (laughs) Overall, it remains a Thanksgiving holiday classic featuring two comedy stars at the height of their powers. It's still a good rewatch for this time of year. And also a well-timed reminder that traveling by plane has always sucked, at least since the mid-80s. And my best wishes to you for a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Travel safely. And if you're looking for planes, trains, and automobiles, it's available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms. And that ends another jet-lagged review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast 
and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.